Today's show is brought to you by TransferWise. Do you ever have to send money internationally? If you do, you know it's expensive and time-consuming, and the exchange rate you get from your bank or provider can be terrible. Next time you have to make an international money transfer, you should use TransferWise. The exchange rate is incredibly good, so your money goes much further, and you pay only one small upfront fee. Setting up a payment is simple and fast. You know exactly what you'll pay up front, and you get a real exchange rate with no markup. The two friends who founded TransferWise were immigrants from Estonia, and they were sick of getting ripped off when they sent money home. So they came up with a quicker, cheaper, and easier way to transfer money between countries. Then they realized this great idea could be a company. Today, TransferWise lets millions of people and businesses all over the world send money internationally. See how much you can save at TransferWise.com. You can download the app for Android or iOS. Once again, that's TransferWise.com. Transfer, as in I need to transfer money to another country. Wise, as in I'm going to do it the wise way. TransferWise.com. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, coming to you from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Executive Editor of Recode. You may know me as someone who invests heavily in R&D, which stands for retweets and dark sunglasses. But in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and more. Or just visit recode.net slash podcasts for more. Today in the red chair is Dr. Tolga Kritoglu, the CEO of Silicon Valley research and development company Park. Previously known as Xerox Park, its team has pioneered some of the most important advances in computing over the past 50 years, including everything, including UI, all kinds of things like that. Tolga became the CEO in January of this year. Before that, he oversaw Park's research into artificial intelligence, machine learning, security, and more, all the key things that are popping up now. Tolga, welcome to Recode Decode. Thank you, and thanks for having me. No problem. So let's talk a little bit about your background, how you got to Park, because you were wor- people like to know where people come from. And Park, sure. obviously, taking over Park, which is sort of the iconic font of innovation from the beginning of Silicon Valley, is, is an important job. So why don't we talk about how you got there? Sure. Um, I got to Park in the summer of 2010. Mm-hmm. It's almost been seven years. I think it will be mid-July. It's, mm-hmm. it's going to be my, my seventh Mark. Background-wise, I was born and raised in Turkey. Mm-hmm. I came to U.S. Uh, in '99, yeah, uh, just to pursue a graduate degree uh, in mechanical engineering. That's what my training is in. In, in uh, Turkey? In uh, no, in the U.S. So the I US. did my undergraduate in Turkey. I was born and raised there. and uh, Always a nerd or always a... <laughs> yeah, uh, pretty much. And at the end of my, uh, my undergrad, uh, I decided to come to U.S., and get a graduate degree. Mm-hmm. So I did that in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, at Carnegie Mellon. Carnegie Mellon, yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, from there, I moved down to Austin, Texas. Uh, and I lived there for a couple of years. I worked as an engineer. Mm-hmm. And then moved to the Bay Area uh, in, in the summer of 2006. So I've been in, in the Bay Area since then. And uh, like I said, I started at Park 2010. I was and why did you go to Park? You were in Austin, I assume, working for either Dell or... Yeah, I did work for Dell. Right, yeah. Guess. Uh, a number of reasons. So before Park, I was at NASA Ames Research mm-hmm. Center. I was a researcher there. So I think combination of those gave me a perspective on... I knew academia. I have a lot of friends and colleagues that, uh, you know, kind of chose the academic uh, career path. 
And, uh, you know, I saw the government agency side and how research gets done in that context, as well as a, a pretty fast-paced product company in the right. world, right? So, and I think sort of the synthesis of those experiences led me to kind of think about my next career move. Mm -hmm. And uh, and Park was a perfect choice for that. And uh, why was that? Well, because Park had seen its day, right? It had, right? it had been there all along, but it really had its big time when Xerox owned it. Really. That's true. But that is also uh, what, um, you know, what people remember Park. By we mm -hmm. we do work on and I like to talk about that um, later in the podcast about the kinds of things that we're working on today. I think the, there's a couple of reasons. The major one is it's a unique R and D place in a sense that it focuses on what I call translational research, really kind of at that boundary of research and development. And you think about science and technology, but you also think about how to really translate that into market and market impact and products and services, right. et cetera. So it has that applied nature, and you can kind of see the impact of your ideas and in, in, in your thoughts and, and your work um, when it goes through that transformation and translation and creates the kind of impact that we want to create in the market and the world. There is a big sort of reward for um, a lot of the people that we have at Park today if not all, but to me personally, that was a big passion, right? So to kind of really see. So you wanted that. to go there while you were working at Dell. You were doing what? What were you doing there? Uh, product design. Product design for right. what? For just computers? Uh, for server products, basically. Yes. Okay. And why did you want to move out of that to Park? Because, bec I mean, I, I went from that back to the research realm, right? So, so I think there is a certain level of. Uh, repetition if you will that it gets okay so you move from this product to the next product but but if you think about really the skill set wise right. and the kind of problems that you're working on they get um, somewhat boring right. after a while mm -hmm. uh, and I always kind of challenge myself to to go out of my comfort zone and, and trying to think about the next thing and what might be the thing that would push me harder compared to what I've done in the recent past, et cetera. And that first transition into the research and development world first and then go to park because there's a there's a big variety of you know domains and problems that we work on there. Mm -hmm. And as I said, that applied nature of it perhaps a, a contrast to academia where you know you solve the hard problems and you publish and you generate the knowledge and that's the that's mm -hmm. the mission of uh, educational institutions but then you move on to the next hard problem right mm -hmm. so but i think there is a big reward at least for me and a big personal passion where you don't just stop at the output of that R&D activity, if you will, but you really think about what that means for the people and the, for the society, sure. and for where the culture, it goes. So where it goes further down. You go to Park to work on areas that are now the hottest areas in Silicon Valley. Talk about you. It was somewhat early to be looking at those. Right. So, in it, yes. And before Park, again, I, I worked on a lot of, you know, predictive analytics and AI technologies mm -hmm. in NASA as well. And a lot of my background and training in, is in engineering and how to apply, um, again, AI and other computational technologies to engineering problems at large and with a, with a specialization in kind of product design and development, how to do that better, mm -hmm. what kind of tools and technologies you might you might develop to, to do that more efficiently and to come up, you know, both from a process point of view more efficiently, but also to be able to design and develop and deploy better products. Sure. Right. And at the time of my transition from NASA to Park, uh, Park had won um, a big uh, contract from the Department of Defense, DARPA agency, that really looked at how to revolutionize how people go about really designing these highly complex systems. Mm -hmm. And that was a perfect fit for my background. So mm -hmm. I, I made the switch. This is I the Defense Department. Yes. Research arm. Right. Right. And so you went there to do that. So they had contracted with Park to do that. Yes. 
And you, what were you trying to do with that? What was the concept? The, the, a little more specifically. Sure, sure. I can talk about that. So, so the whole idea is um, when you're developing these complex systems like an uh, automobile or airplane uh, and whatnot, there is um, thousands and thousands of, you know, tens of thousands essentially of requirements that you have to meet, engineering requirements or otherwise, right? Uh, compliance, etc. And if you look at the typical um, design cycles from ideation or concept to um, coming up with, with, with initial designs and what we call validating and, and verifying that and then manufacturing and deploying, it can take decades. Right. And the aim of DARPA was to do it. It can take decades for a number of reasons, but partly it was because you have to do a lot of testing before you deploy these systems. And a sure. lot of those are what we call um, hardware in the loop testing, where you have to build prototypes of these things and sure. test things like a crash simulation, right? So you have to drive the car to the wall and then see what happens. It but crashes. It crashes, and, and you kind of need to assess that. But the beauty of the developments in computation and modeling and simulation allows us to do a lot of that in the virtual environment as opposed sure. to the real physical sure. environment, right? So that was the idea, how to really leverage computers and computing power in a way that would do two things, that would allow you, with new uh, tools and methods and also workflows, conceive and construct different alternatives for a given design, uh, but also use virtual environments and simulation to, to be able to kind of really validate and verify that it will meet your requirements to your satisfaction in a much, much shorter amount of time. So they really wanted to go from something that takes decades to something maybe that takes months. Months, a shorter time to do it right. computationally. So you go to, to Park and you, you start working on these things. How big is, was give us a sense of how big it is now. How many we, people yeah, are there? We, we have, where is uh, the budget from besides <laughs> yeah, good, secret government good, agencies? Good, good question. So um, we have about a little over 200 people wow. at Park today. Uh, it's a combination of our, uh, basically our technical staff, uh, which is, Majority of them are PhDs coming from different disciplines. Mm -hmm. You know, all the major engineering fields, aerospace, mechanical, electrical, industrial, uh, material scientists, a lot of computer scientists, mm -hmm. as you might imagine, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, physicists and chemists, etc. But we also have social scientists, ethnographers, anthropologists, and um, user experience, uh, user studies experts, as well as business experts that, mm -hmm. that, that understand certain markets, uh, IP, IP strategy, and those kinds of things. So we really blend those set of talents and resources, you know, when we... when we So kind of like university without students there, right? <laughs> we have a well-educated students that are in their professional lives. So, so you, you, what are you looking for when, now that you're doing it? It was started by, give a little a short history of Xerox Park, essentially. Sure. So it started sure. off as a Xerox research facility, as many big companies had research facilities. Right, right. I can, I can do that. So it was started in 1970. And it was founded on the West Coast, which is, you know, far away from where the headquarters were. And it started with a sole mission. And, and the mission was to, to really invent uh, the office of the future. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it, it hired early generations of computer scientists and other, um, other scientists to really kind of think about what the world would look like and what the office would look like in, in, in the future. And a lot of the early work, the, the kinds of things that you mentioned earlier came out of that first formative years, the first decade or two, 
the, the graphical user interface, uh, the uh, laser printer, mouse. Uh, the mouse, and uh, uh, Ethernet, and uh, the GUI, uh, object-oriented programming. Those are the kinds of things that you yeah, might imagine. Yeah, which many sort of pe other people really take advantage makes, of. Now, now, now this notion of a kind of connected world seems to be, yes, yes it started of course, there. right? And, so, and, and it's famously had its ideas stolen by Bill Gates and Steve Jobs, who then later went on to be Bill Gates and Steve Jobs. But, but I think the, the mission is, your question about mm -hmm. what we're looking for today is, is the same thing. What we provide to the world is we become partners with our clients to really envision the future for them and with them and really create a set of technology options, if you will. Right. Now, a lot of companies have their own research. Microsoft has an enormous research. So does Google. Right. So does, but most companies don't. Right? They con contract with you. Is that how you're paid? Or ex yeah, explain the business plan of the yeah, yeah. park, excuse me. Not yes, and you would be surprised if you actually look at our set of clients that how big their internal R&D budgets are. They, they, they already come, have. They, they already have. They, they still come to us, and, and for a number of reasons. So you, you asked earlier kind of our... Um, where where is our funding coming from, right? So we're still wholly owned subsidiary of Xerox. So mm -hmm. about you know slightly less than half of our funding comes from Xerox mm -hmm. to date, and then the rest is uh, our open innovation business, and mm -hmm. that's where we work with the government agencies or you know, companies or or, com or commercial companies, right? right. So uh, and you know they're they're kind of different in in the in the in the nature of research that they're seeking for, but essentially it, it's about the future. It's about you know what might what might future look like look mm -hmm. like, and here's a tough problem in a particular domain. It requires deep technical and scientific investigation to be able to solve it, right? And mm -hmm. that's what we provide. We right. we put our you know brains together and they look at that problem and they 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 provide uh, potential solutions and options but it's not just sort of I ideas about what might be the solutions to that we do the deep science and the scientific investigation but we do put prototypes together we provide mm -hmm. them proofs of feasibility we provide them proofs of concept and we do that in parallel with you know our strength on the business side so mm -hmm. the business modeling side right. the market strategy go to market so essentially, we not only deliver them the technology options, but we also deliver them how to think about really coupling that with the right business model and with the business strategy. So you're trying to, to give them a full menu of if right. they've decided to create, I don't know, the best chair or whatever the heck you're working on. Right. And do you do you tell them what you're working on or do they say, we have a problem with blank? It goes both ways, I would say. So there are areas, emerging areas in technology, you know, IoT, artificial intelligence, machine intelligence, autonomy, digital manufacturing is some of the areas that we're very actively pursuing. And they're interested in sort of generically on, in those areas. We give them the kinds of capabilities we have, the technologies we have developed in the recent past. And, but sometimes they come and say, we have this, this problem. Mm -hmm. And uh, how can we go about that? And then you and get paid for that, correct? Yes. You get paid for that. You, can you say what your budget is? Or we cannot. We don't disclose that. Right, but it how many clients do you have? We have, uh, you know, it changes. It, it changes. Uh, it depends on the long, long, you know, the duration of the projects that we have. But we have a very large commercial client base, and we work with all the major government agencies. Okay, I, you mentioned a, a spate of topics that I want to get to in the next section, talking about sure. automation, robotics. Uh, manufacturing, uh, just-in-time manufacturing, all kinds of things and what you guys are working on, where you see it going. We're here with Dr. Tolga Kurtaglu, who is the CEO of Silicon Valley Research and Development Company, Park. It was previously known as Xerox Park. And we're going to be talking about where research is going and where the future is going, I guess, when we get back. Today's show is brought to you by LegalZoom. If you own a business and you want to run it well, you have to pay attention to the little details. One contract slip-up or legal misunderstanding can really set you back. Fortunately, there's LegalZoom. 
More than a million Americans have used LegalZoom to start their businesses, but you probably knew that already. LegalZoom services go way beyond starting a business. They have a nationwide network of independent attorneys to answer all your day-to-day legal questions about your business. Because let's face it, stuff like trademarks, employment law, and lease agreements can get pretty complicated. So don't waste your valuable time trying to wrap your head around all the fine print. Use LegalZoom for that so you can focus on growing your business instead. You'll get the legal help you need and they won't bill you by the hour because LegalZoom is not a law firm. Go to LegalZoom.com today. Be sure to enter DECODE in the referral box for special savings. That's LegalZoom.com. Use the promo code DECODE. I'd also like to tell you about Recode Media with Peter Kafka. Peter, who did you talk to this week? Kara. Okay, so I talked to... You don't know who I talked to because I haven't told you. I talked to Ryan Holiday. He's an interesting young man. He's written a book called Perennial Seller that purports to tell you how to make something that will sell forever. So that's pretty impressive. He's also a marketer who's famous for writing a book about how he lied when he was a marketer for American Apparel. He's also an advocate of the Stoics, which are the old Romans. You're smart. You probably know about them. And that is very big with people like Tim Ferriss, who you've talked to. So we talked about all of that. It's pretty cool. You should listen. Sounds great, Peter. You can find Recode Media on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to your podcast. We're here with Dr. Tolga Kurtaglu, the CEO of Silicon Valley research and development company Park. We've been talking about the history of Park, which is very famous in, in the history of Silicon Valley. But I want to delve into some of the things they're doing. Tolga, you had been working on artificial intelligence, machine learning, and you mentioned some others. Let's talk about each of these areas and what's happening, because it seems to me, and maybe I'm just a casual observer, that Silicon Valley has gotten a little more serious again, and they're moving into some of these issues. Um, you can pick any one of them. Automation, you mentioned, or, or yeah, manufacturing. I mean, I, I'll give examples. In Let's um, go through some, each of them. Automation. So, yeah. So uh, automation to me is part of, you know, as we think about it, the machine intelligence, right? Mm-hmm. So if I think about it, there's, there's three major uh, emerging technology trends uh, that are happening simultaneously. And, mm-hmm. and, and actually the potential kind of comes together from the intersection of those three things. And one of them is this notion of IoT, and people use that in various different ways. But essentially what it is to me is, the ability to embed sensing and sensors uh, in physical devices, and this can be in the industrial context or it can be in the consumer context, mm-hmm. and be able to basically generate data about that device and artifact right. in real time. It gives you a lot of you advantages. You have a tractor and you know yeah. how the tractor's working or the plane or the exactly. whatever. Exactly. And, and it gives you this ability to sense and control mm-hmm. uh, and do that in real time, which is a very, very powerful notion. The other one is uh, this notion of machine intelligence and automation is a big part of that, mm-hmm. uh, w- which, which we're seeing more and more systems that can m- mimic and do the kinds of things that we thought only humans can do really well. Mm-hmm. Give me an example. Uh, classification is, is a typical example in the AI, right? So if you think about looking at an object and telling whether that's a car or not, that's something that a three-year-old kid picks up fairly quickly after mm-hmm. you know somebody reinforces that, right? Mm-hmm. So it says this is a car, and they, they kind of get a sense of, yeah, cars come in different shapes, models, and colors, quickly, and whatnot, right? very, very quickly. And uh, for machines to be able to do that was very, very difficult because you needed a lot of computation, a lot of data, and a lot of labeled data. Mm-hmm. So, so we're seeing uh, advances in computation, advances in uh, access to computation as, as well, right? So the, this whole notion of cloud computing and, and, mm-hmm. and the ability to have 
you know as as much computational power as you need is is very powerful and to the first point a lot of data a lot of data is available today that was sure. just simply available and that enables us to train these what we call the artificial intelligence algorithms in a way that they can do those kinds of things so now they can act like three-year-olds they can act like three-year-olds exactly and that elevates you know they, they elevates their their sort of intelligence level and that's why we hear you know smart cities and smart trains and smart right. so cars they, presumably and, they'd be affected by these sensors along with the ability for the machines to react and do things with that's them. exactly right so they can hear they can sense they can act and they can respond to their environments in a mm-hmm. way that again that that in, a, in, in an intelligent and a smart way so d- talk about uh, robotics which is linked to it too the same thing yeah I think robotics is to me it's a domain where all of this is happening as well mm-hmm. right so um, and, and it's really interesting so you ask what are we doing in some of these domains so yeah. AI and robotics I'll give you one example really interesting project and a technology that we're working on is about how to bring together these AI agents or computational agents and humans together okay. in a way that they form um, sort of collaborative teams right, right. To, to, to go after, after tasks. And robotics is, is, is a great domain for really exploring some of the ideas there. So there's a lot of... So meaning collaborative that you... We already do work with computers. They right. just don't respond. We just tell them what to do and they bring pop an answer from Google or whatever. That, that's precisely right. So you can, you can actually prescribe or ask or um, inquire an answer from a computer. What we're talking about here is a more of a um, symbiotic team between an AI agent and a human in a way that they solve the problems together. It's not one of them tells the other one what to do, right. but they go back and forth. Oh, and they can they can formulate the problem. They can build on each other's ideas and things of that nature. And and it's really important because we're as, as you mentioned, Kara, we're seeing uh, significant advancements and penetration of AI technologies almost all the industries. Right. Mm-hmm. So the more there's going to be automation in AI in those, you know, they predict which stocks we should buy, to which song we should listen to, when our Uber service will arrive, to everything uh, in our everyday lives. And you can kind of stretch that to the extreme. At some point, there's going to be a huge issue with people really kind of taking the answers that com- the computers are suggesting them, mm-hmm. um, you know, without questioning it. Right, right? Right. So, so this notion of trust between uh, the AI agents and humans is, is at the heart of the technology that we're working mm-hmm. on. We're trying to build trustable AI systems. Mm-hmm. And one way to get there is for these AI systems to be explainable. Right. So imagine an AI system that explains itself. So if you're using an AI agent to do a medical diagnostics and it comes up with a seemingly unintuitive answer, mm-hmm. then the doctor might want to know why, right? Mm-hmm. Why did you come up with that answer as opposed mm-hmm. to something else? And today these systems are you know, pretty much black boxes. Yeah, so you put the input, it just spits out yeah. what the answer is. You right? have cancer. So you, yes, Thank you. Right, exactly. And have a nice what day. What we want to enable is for these systems to explain themselves in a way that they... How they thought about yeah, it. Yeah, how they thought about it. You know, right. here are the assumptions that I made. Just like we explain mm-hmm. to others, here are the assumptions that I made. Here are the paths that I've considered. Here are the paths that I've ruled out. Mm-hmm. And here's why. 
Why do we and, need explanations and, and, if they're smarter than we are? <laughs> I mean, that's the problem, right? So again, I think that the, as you push the boundaries of automation, mm -hmm. I think I think it's likely. Well, two things: as you as you push the boundaries of automation, it's likely to hit the barrier there, in which you know you, everything is controlled by these mm -hmm. by these things. Yes, that's, well, that's, that's the potential. fear, right? Societal. It's a societal kind of interesting. But don't they already do that? Answer. Don't we rely on them for maps now? Like, we do. Just think of, when's the last time you looked at a map, figured it out for yourself? Not. Ever. Yeah, so like, it, it, it seems a distant past. Told, but, but I remember, I mean, I remember very vividly, like, uh, I think when I first moved to US, I was trying to do online shopping for mm -hmm. travel. Mm -hmm. And I was supposed to give my credit card information. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, should yeah. I really trust this? Because right. it wasn't the common way of really booking. Right, but then you booking. did. Then I did it. And, it, it, you know, I think with time, uh, as the adoption curve goes up and whatnot, there's a certain level of trust, uh, trust that builds in. But I think the rate in which these algorithms are advancing now, there's going to be everywhere. I think it's going to be a significant. We'll be talking problem. to you, explaining so. to you, like regular people. They're going to be, but not rude, for example, just <laughs> like just give you nice answers and stuff like that. That's what we're working for. That's we could make them a little rude talk. in different places. <laughs> um, so we'll talk about that, the societal impact and the responsibility of Silicon Valley in the next section. But what about in uh, self-driving? Are you guys doing stuff in self-driving cars? We're not. Well, we are indirectly. Uh, we're not driving our. You know, we're not yeah. developing. I would say our own Everybody version of a, uh, our, our own version of a self-driving car. But there are subsystems um, that would then support the autonomy that uh, that we're working on for for the sensing technology, for example, for mm -hmm. the radar technology and whatnot. There's a number of areas in which we develop new technologies that would then enable you know, better sensing of the information that comes from computer vision and some of the work that we've done in uh, metamaterials. That's got to uh, be the most tricky problem of all in it, all computing. It, 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 is, it is one of the So many the inputs ones. all at once. I mean, I find, I f you know, everyone's like, why don't these work? I'm like, do you know how difficult it is to, like, drive merge, a car? Yeah. Merge, merge just merge anything. And, and again, I think car, car is a really interesting example for the mm -hmm. previous conversation as well. It's, you know, fully autonomous versus, uh, and I talked about this uh, recently at a, a keynote, it's great. You know, you can, you can have a self-driving car on a perfectly sunny California day on a highway that's well marked and everything is kind of consistent with how you model the world. Mm -hmm. But take that same car and put it on an intersection in mm -hmm. different parts of the world, you know, mm -hmm. say Asia, where it's Crazy. highly densely populated right. and, and traffic, uh, you know. Uh, flows in a very, very different and chaotic right. way, potentially, right? Or put it on a, you know, winding road, uh, which is foggy on, on the countryside. I'd still trust it more than my so, mother. <laughs> but okay. That, that should be fine. <laughs> so, so, but again, I think there are these cases where, because ultimately the learning is statistically based the more mm -hmm. data you see that represents the real world right you know the better but people you're do get, get more comfortable in these situations as time goes on i mean that's the the thing is the at first you're discomforted and then the second later you're using it and then the third later you insult it right. like it's not fast enough it's not more it's not enough kind yeah. of thing yeah i think the fast and the accuracy those things are you know improving really rapidly right. and radically right. uh, the point i was trying to make is there's still the complexity in the world. It's, there's still mm -hmm. those corner cases, if you will, or cases that are very, very complex, where mm -hmm. humans are really good intuitively or experience-based to kind of look at the situation at hand mm -hmm. and right. make judgment, uh, where computers can't. And, and that's, again, uh, an area that we're working on to sort of, that's what collaboration means in addition to and, what and I talked about And what about, about manufacturing? Earlier. You mentioned <clears throat> manufacturing. Yeah, manufacturing is a huge area of interest for us because, uh, there's, because I think it has 
an enormous potential for disruption. Mm-hmm. Uh, manufacturing is going through the digital transformation, if you will, that a lot of other industries have already kind of gone through uh, mm-hmm. and, and completed to a great extent. But if you look look at the, the, the world of manufacturing, there's a lot of things that are still being done either manually uh, or there are things that are still being done driven by um, uh, expert and tribal and, 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 and sort of tacit knowledge, if you will. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is, I think, moving in a direction where with the emergence of these computational techniques and AI and and, and data and, and other things, that it is on the verge of digital disruption. And that's what so we... So explain what that would mean. What would it... Give me an example. Sure. Um, so I'll give you an example from uh, one of the technologies that we worked on recently is, for example, if you want to get a part made and manufactured right. for you, um, you have to, typically you have to kind of send out a request for code and you send a bunch of suppliers mm-hmm. and they need to kind of look at that. They have experts that understand and see they can retool the complexity the factory, that they can retool it. Do I have the right machine, right resources, mm-hmm. assets, etc. on my on my production environment that, that I can make that, right? So this process is a back and forth between design and manufacturing, which is kind of, which has sort of an artificial boundary mm-hmm. in between, if you will. The designers specify what needs to get made, and then the manufacturing engineers really need to figure out how to get it made, right? Mm-hmm. So that translates into delay in the go-to-market, delay in the productivity of, sure. the, of the machine shops, and, and, and a bunch of other inefficiencies, if you will. So we developed a platform that kind of brings those two worlds together. Mm-hmm. It's a cloud-based service platform that really maps designs with supply chain capabilities. Mm-hmm. So you basically say, I want you know this, this coffee cup to be made, and you can drop that on the website, and it understands manufacturing processes through advanced AI and modeling and simulation algorithms. So it can actually look, it can actually look at the design, and look at, if given a shop, it can use a virtual model of that shop mm-hmm. with the processes and simulate how you would translate that design into machining operations mm-hmm. or instructions. Right, for that without the back shop. and forth. Just without instant. the back and forth, right there, real time. Mm-hmm. And you can say, if you, were, if you were to go with this particular shop, this is how they would do it. Mm-hmm. This is how much it would cost and how long it will take. If you don't want to go with them, here's another alternative. And they right. have a different set of machines, different set of people, different set of processes, what right. have you. It's a different answer. So it really kind of digitally connects the supply, the industrial base. Right, with which the is design. now done by flying to China or, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like people, yeah. you know, they just do that, which seems insane. They do, point. and there are experts that really understands what you're trying to do and understands the supply chain and really connect that, right? So in this particular example, we build a platform that kind of brings that together for, for mm-hmm. a particular domain. Okay. When we get back, we're here with Dr. Tolga Kurtiglu. Uh, he's the CEO of Silicon Valley Research and Development Company Park. We're talking about innovations and where they're going. When we get back, I want to talk about the responsibility of Silicon Valley to these innovations and also some of the way out ideas he thinks that are happening because that's what Park is known for. This show is brought to you by Qualcomm, the company that invented the fundamental technology in everything you love about your phone. From download speeds to stunning photos to GPS, none of it would work the way you count on without Qualcomm engineers getting there first. And now the company that changed everything with the smartphone is about to change everything else. Qualcomm is why you love your smartphone, no matter what brand of phone it is. Learn more at qualcomm.com slash we invent. This podcast is also brought to you by ZipRecruiter. If you're hiring, do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Posting your job in one place isn't enough to find quality candidates. If you want to find the perfect hire, you need to post your job on all the top job sites. And now you can. 
With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job on more than 200 job sites, including Facebook and Twitter, all with one click. Find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll in. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by Fortune 100 companies and thousands of small and medium-sized businesses. Right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash decode. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash decode. One more time to try it for the low, low price of free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash decode. I also want to tell you about Too Embarrassed to Ask, my other podcast which I host with Lauren Good of The Verge. Ka-ching! Ka-ching, is that you Ka-ching! There? How did you get in the room? Oh, hi! No, I thought uh, <laughs> I thought we were just going to, you know, make some content. Okay, every Friday we answer your questions about consumer tech on Too Embarrassed to Ask. Lauren, what did we talk about this week? Well, speaking of money and currencies, we talked about blockchain with yeah. Jeremy Allaire. He's the CEO of Circle, which is a digital currency app. Started out as a Bitcoin app and then moved away from Bitcoin. And Jeremy is an expert in all things blockchain and Honestly, it's very good. If you haven't been following blockchain for the past five years or so, it's one of those things you've probably heard about a lot, but you're like, what is this thing? So we decided to answer that question. All right. It was a great discussion. We hope you will go listen to it. You can also find Too Embarrassed to Ask on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Too Embarrassed to Ask. See you there. We're here in the red chair with Dr. Tolga Kurtaglu, the CEO of the Silicon Valley Research and Development Company, PARC. We've been talking about a wide range of where things are going, including in artificial intelligence, machine learning, security, and other areas. So let's talk about, um, you, you know, you're talking about constant innovation, the, the business of innovation, which is, I think, the business of Silicon Valley trying to be. How do you assess where Silicon Valley is now? Because these areas of innovation change and morph over time. And obviously, a lot of people are worried they're shifting to China or somewhere else. Probably China would be the biggest choice. How do you assess Silicon Valley's health right now in terms of innovation? In terms of innovation and innovation leadership, I think Silicon Valley continues to be the world leader in innovation. But you're right. I think the, the pace of innovation uh, has, has changed dramatically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, to a certain extent, I, I kind of make an analogy to kind of riding waves, right? So these mm-hmm. innovation topics and areas come in waves. And, you know, when, you, when you're there in the, in the water, you kind of have to catch on to that wave, stand up mm-hmm. and ride it. And then you have to kind of think about what comes next sure. and whatnot. So um, I think in terms of really defining what those waves are, uh, Silicon Valley holds the leadership mm-hmm. uh, today, uh, as we see in, you know, in AI, uh, Internet of Things and AI and automation, self-driving cars and a bunch of other areas of robotics for sure. Still, the majority of uh, of innovation comes from the valley. The center of gravity is mm-hmm. closer to, you know, our cost than other parts of the world. But clearly, uh, there is competition mm-hmm. elsewhere in the world, right? So there's there's pockets of um, areas and regions uh, that either aspire to or that already have a solid uh, base for for innovation and technology development. And I, I think partly the, the continued leadership is continuation of a number of factors that kind of made Silicon Valley Silicon Valley in the first in the first place and those factors are still there such as in my mind there are three or four right so so people people often ask you know uh, such and such place would be the Silicon Valley the next Silicon Valley sure. or we want to be there the Silicon be Valley next, of X you know there will be a next Silicon Valley sure sure uh, but but I think I think it comes down to four factors in my mind there's um, access to capital uh, which we have uh, with uh, with the VC community and otherwise access to talent with not only you know one of the one of the two best universities but more and and 
all the world's talent, mm -hmm. you know, uh, want to be here in the valley, but also access to what I call entrepreneurial mentorship. Mm -hmm. And that's, an, that's something that people often overlook. Um, you know, we had Fairchild, and if you go back to the history of, mm -hmm. of, of Silicon Valley, a lot of those people that, that were influential in the, in the formation of the valley and the, in, the, in the silicon industry, they moved on and they themselves became investors and mentors, and they kind of educated the next right. entrepreneurial generation, and that kind of continues. Mm -hmm. So there's a tremendous amount of know-how in terms of entrepreneurship right. and how to really think about technology and innovation and take it to the market and mm -hmm. make it a success so right? so still that's hard to repeat elsewhere and then and then there's a really interesting connection which is the fourth factor is the people of Silicon Valley mm -hmm. and the culture here you know often when we talk about innovation we talk about early early adapters and laggards and, and, and the ones that, mm -hmm. that that follow right so Silicon Valley is full of people um, that are early adapters that are mm -hmm. dying to kind of try out the next big thing, right? So if you mm -hmm. think about all the technologies that we use today in our daily lives, from you know from Waze to um, uh, Lyft and Uber and, and other things, you know, as they come out, there's there's already a cultural testbed, if you will, that are willing to really try out those things. All right. And then so that's the happy case, but some things are starting to show. You know, what's happening at Uber is ugly. Yes. And sort of a nasty version of what's happening. It's arrogance. It's sort of the end of an empire kind of behavior. It's uh, messy and sloppy and not at all in these these vaunted ideas. Yes. What's the danger to innovation uh, in these cultures? Obviously, money is it's warping. <laughs> yeah, no I think it, gener it. it generates a tremendous amount of wealth mm -hmm. uh, for a lim limited number of people. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and and then it comes down to sort of individual prefer uh, preferences and, and character as mm -hmm. to how people deal with that, right? So that that's certainly a risk. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I think I think there is also a danger of with great power and leadership comes also responsibility. So you yeah. really need to understand what that means and mm -hmm. what you know. You're changing the world. You're really disrupting major industries in profound ways, and you can behave in a way that then shows. A certain character versus you have you have behave in a way that shows that you know you do that with with a certain humility, right? right? So so again, I think what we're seeing is in in the examples that you're you're saying that there's a potential to kind of be too arrogant about all of that and, mm -hmm. and behave in ways that is not very productive for for our culture. Right. So do you talking about responding great comes great responsibility? Do you think people in Silicon Valley do understand the impact of their? You know, I had a really interesting meeting yesterday with someone from Facebook who we had a large argument about their responsibility in the election and obviously they were grappling with it. They're definitely concerned about what their impact is. Same thing with the self-driving car stuff. Yeah. What happens to jobs? What, don't you understand the linkage between job elimination or, I, I or Amazon and retail? You could go. You could iterate through lots right. and lots of innovations that are happening and machine learning and automation. Those are all, I mean, they all have a profound impact on our society and you can see it Politically, right now, the rise of populism, the rise of really idiotic leadership that, that that takes advantage of those fears about the future. How do you look at that? Or just Silicon Valley does? Do you think Silicon Valley has I to do something to understand its responsibility? I think it does understand because there's there's not only the sort of the 
the bad examples, if you mm-hmm. were, but there's a there's a fair amount of good examples that are coming out of Silicon Valley as well. I mean, through either philanthropic causes or mm-hmm. some of the discussions that are going on, you know, off the top of my head, I'm trying to think examples. When you think about, you know, robotics and AI and automation and jobs, this, mm-hmm. this whole notion in, in conversation about um, universal basic income, sure. uh, taxing, you know, robots and, mm-hmm. and AI agents and, and, and really kind of creating wealth and value for the, the society at large. I think those discussions are happening. We know of uh, research centers that come together that has, um, you know, a social mission mm-hmm. and you in trying to use artificial intelligence and machine learning for, for those causes and for mm-hmm. those causes only. So again, this is not black and white in my mind in, mm-hmm. in terms of Silicon Valley is all bad or all good. Mm-hmm. There is a subset of people that really understands and come, you know, with a certain level of responsibility, understanding the impact of what technology development means, what innovation means for you know for the for the society here, but but also for the world at large. And there are some people that simply don't think about that or act right. in, you know or choose just, to act in a, in a different way. I think this is the first time they really understood like jobs, especially job elimination, because some of these technologies, not a photo app, it's not you know they they sort right. of decimated media certainly, and but nobody they didn't seem to care that much about that. But right. uh, now it's it's getting to the heart of of a lot of things right you know when you're talking about automation self-driving cars right ai you get you really move quickly through yes. a large swath of the population and how you shift them we just had an interview with reed hoffman and mark andreessen and i just yeah. did another one with with reed and i had a really interesting back and forth with mark andreessen who's one of the most prominent right. venture capitalists and he was saying well when we went it was better when we got to manufacturing over the farm economy because there was more jobs than ever and i said yes but the transition and he was like, well, there were blacksmiths and then there weren't. And I was like, yeah, but what about the blacksmith family? What about the people they bought food from? What about, like, I don't, I think there was a great deal of social discomfort during that time that we utterly forget about, but was very profound at the time. And yes. so how do you, who is responsible from that, from a technological point of view? Because here you are saying, we're going to make this of the future, that of the future. What about the present? How do you deal with the present? Do you think the, about that the, as, a, as a research institution or just forget it? Like, we're just going to invent time machines and invisibility folks <laughs> and whatever happens happens well well i mean we're all individuals and we think right. we, we think about you know what that might mean for the future because ultimately mm-hmm. we want to impact the world in a, in a positive and significant way mm-hmm. and again with that comes some certain level of responsibility you have to kind of think about you know mm-hmm. well those are the positives but what about what about the negatives and yes i think i think this is an interesting moment from that perspective with with all the advances in automation and ai and robotics and and, and the kinds of things we talked about uh, there is the reality of, you know, jobs being lost mm-hmm. and uh, certain people being displaced from the workplace in a f- profound way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think I think that you know, there's two pieces of perspectives on that. One, uh, we need to think about also technology and what opportunity it creates. So it, it takes away mm-hmm. certain jobs, but it's also presents opportunities for different kinds of jobs, different mm-hmm. kinds of skill sets uh, to be significant. All right, let's talk about that finishing up. Just what do you what do you imagine? I, you know, I've seen that recently, I've been reading a lot of stuff around what the work that's needed in the future is, what the actual jobs and, and what's going, a lot of them are elder care, child yeah. care, things that are pretty basic. Um, what do you envision will Xerox Park be looking at in 20 years? What, what are the things, you know, right now we're 
we're doing that automation AI kind of thing. What do you, if you're thinking way out, what do you, what is it like? Yeah, I think time travel or <laughs> tel uh, so telepathy I, I, or what? So I don't know. I don't know if this is going to be uh, kind of way way out there, but but I think the answer is kind of at the intersection of those technological trends that that are emerging. Uh, we think about the office place of the future mm -hmm. and how that might look like, right? So it's most likely going to look like very different than, than the one that we have today. And it's also very likely, if you look at the kind of the consumer space and how people interact with technology, there's a slew of sensors on our smartphones and other things, you know, we, we, we wearables and our mm -hmm. smartwatches, etc. And all the data that is coming from that sort of contextually processed. And I think the future is a bit where we all have as individuals these... Uh, assistance, if you will, mm -hmm. that would then help us with what we need to do. Like if you're trying to find food, you know, we can immediately get recommendations about that. If you want to kind of uh, make reservations at the concert and whatnot, they can they can get done. So it's, it's, it's like these virtual agents and assistants surrounding us in real time and processing a lot of data that are coming from different sources to kind of really help us out. And I think the future of work is no exception to that. It's going to be really interesting experience in that regard then. You know, the the office spaces, whether similar to what we have now or radically different in different places, would be loaded with sensors. Mm -hmm. It would be loaded with machines that can, you know, talk to you and that can interact with you. You can kind of think about, you know, how we have the, the Amazon Echoes and Google Homes at home and interact with them. And all of that data and all of that interaction would be delivered to people in a way that those agents understands the workflow, the task, the, mm -hmm. the, the corporation hierarchy and those kinds of things, and able to kind of deliver you personalized experiences mm -hmm. given the task that yeah. you want to do. You are talking so, about a fully monitored society though, aren't you? That is the risk, right? So, yeah. and, and then another area no, we're working is. on, that's, is exactly exa that, that, that's exactly what it is, right? And, and then I think one of the biggest question marks is what does that mean with respect to security and privacy of people? Mm -hmm. Right, and, that, well, and that's there another is no area. Such thing, right? There I'm is, sorry, I thought that was gone twenty years ago. <laughs> it is, a, it is a significant challenge. Yeah, that yeah. was what Scott McNeely. <laughs> there is no privacy. Just get used to it, or something like yeah. that. So, what does that mean? Obviously, we've seen cyber attacks. Let's finish up on that. You've seen all kinds of threats. Um, of the more we depend on these technologies. Yeah, I think I think it's my prediction. You know, is yeah. is it's only going to go up, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, we need to think about the science and technology that would then make you know, our data, our workflows more secure and more private, mm -hmm. uh, as well as, you know, the personal data, more secure and more private, but, well, you know. Financial uh, data. Financial, financial data, other, other uh, personal identifiable data and sensitive mm -hmm. data and whatnot. But also on the, on the physical or the cyber physical systems as well, right? So, the, you know, if you have an autonomous car, mm -hmm. you don't want somebody to take control of, of that mm -hmm. autonomous car and right. do whatever they want with it, right? right? Same thing with the drones and whatnot. So it's really fascinating if you just kind of go beyond the traditional notions of security and, and, and privacy with the mm -hmm. data, but we have all these smart systems and machine intelligence I talked yeah. about, and all of those systems need to be secure as well. Yeah, because um, humans real... have never used good things <laughs> for bad purposes. Exactly. I so. had an ongoing fight with the Facebook people about their Facebook Live, and when they first showed it to me, I said, oh, someone's gonna kill someone. And they were like, Carrie, you're such a bad person. And I was like, what? Like, why? am I the only person that's thought of this? And obviously they had thought about it, but it was my absolute first thought, not my, yeah. and they were like, it'll be wonderful. I'm like, it'll be awful. 
awful. So it's a really interesting. Yeah. I have a terrible perspective. But can we finish up? Let's finish up by thinking, what is the craziest thing that you've seen lately? Like there's something that you're like, whoa, that's pretty cool. Because you couldn't have imagined the graphical. Even <laughs> at the time, that probably was like, whoa, that's pretty cool. Because the way computers and we interacted, no one ever thought about interacting with them in a, in a, right. in a, in a, in a friendly way. So what's the thing you've seen? You've gone, oh, my God. It's a really interesting question. I, I, I know yeah. you've seen something. Yeah, well, I, I have, but this this goes back to sort of being immersed in technology so much that the sort of the surprise element or the wow, wow yeah. factor, if you yeah. will, is... All right, I'll give you an example. When we had Regina Dugan, when she was heading DARPA, she started talking about like a Mach 10 plane or something, Mach whatever, that went across the world in 30 seconds. That was wow. That was like, whoa. Yeah, I mean, I'll give one example. It was exa- a problem for humans to be in it, but that's another I'll, I'll, issue. I'll give, kind of, we talked about right. security and privacy. I'll give one example from Park. When, when I first saw it, I was a part of that group. A while back, I was like, wow, that's really cool. And that's a self-disintegrating electronic circuit, which is basically built in a particular way on a particular glass-based substrate that Mm -hmm. that you can then basically put a lot of energy in. Mm -hmm. And then you can remotely uh, release that energy. Uh, trigger that, right. and then when it releases, it kind of completely disintegrates. Why? So it's like it Why was, does it disintegrate? Well, you can imagine that there is electronics in which there is data that you don't want anybody else to have access. Oh, so to. like Mission Impossible? It was exactly bah, my reaction. Bah, I was like, bah, "Wow, bah, that's bah. really cool. That's uh, <laughs> right. that's a cool technology." So it would just disintegrate on command, like whatever. On, on a trigger, on you can do it many different ways. So you don't have to like break to. the cell phone dramatically. <laughs> it just would like. Yeah, I mean, imagine. Or that have it be a Samsung Galaxy, whatever. Yeah, but, but exactly. So imagine, imagine your telephone and you know where it is and you can remotely just just trigger that and then right. you know it just kind of goes away wow that's interesting that, so. no time machine then no i'm waiting machines, for someone yeah, to come so. here and tell me about where, how the time machine is going or the I invisibility be, cloak or i will be happy people to come back for get, that well i'm waiting all right tolga it was great talking to you thanks for coming by if you enjoyed the interview as much as i did be sure to subscribe to the show be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes including some really fantastic interviews I've done with Anki CEO Boris Softman, FCC Chairman Ajit Pai, and Oracle CEO Mark Hurd, just to name a few. You can find all those episodes and more wherever you found this one or on our website, recode.net slash podcast. Now that you're done with this, check out one of our other shows on Recode Media with Peter Kafka. You'll hear no BS interviews with some of the smartest people in media and entertainment. I also host Two Embarrassed Ask, along with Lauren Good of The Verge, where we answer all of your questions about consumer tech. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from all of Recode's live events, including the recent Code Conference. We also have a live Recode Decode taping coming up on Wednesday, July 19th at the Erickson Campus in Santa Clara, California. I'll be interviewing Uber's new Vice President of Leadership and Strategy, Frances Fry. It's going to be a really good interview, I think. She's got a lot to say and she's got a lot to answer for at Uber. So we hope you can join us. Learn more at events.recode.net. Thanks for listening. Thanks also to Digital Media, the company that distributes this show, including Beth O'Connell and our editor, Chris Basil. And thanks to our producer, Eric Johnson. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Monday with another great guest. Tune in then. Hi, I'm Lauren Good, Senior Technology Editor at The Verge. And I'm excited to tell you about my new upcoming video series, Next Level. In this new series, we go behind the scenes into the labs of some of the most innovative companies and research institutions around. And we show you the cutting edge stuff that has the potential to impact the way you experience tech in the very near future. You can find Next Level on The Verge, on our YouTube channel, and on Facebook. Just look for the hashtag VergeNextLevel. And thanks for watching.